Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 5, Episode 3, Looking for Parmach in All the Wrong Places. Before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and X as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That is correct, and as I say every single week, you should find us and follow us because we are great, we are awesome, we are a good time, and I must say this week, we are sorry. Sorry because there will be a slight delay in the episodes being released. There were some unfortunate circumstances that came up that was um, that caused a delay in editing just slightly, um, so if you're used to listening to our show via a podcast, not tuning into the live stuff on YouTube, but listening to the podcast, you will find that the episode will come out um, on Monday, and then our next episode will be out on the following Friday. So that's the only delay that there will be, but um, yeah, I was just um, unable to get certain things done due to the nature of the week. Um, so yes, it'll be there. But I apologize if you tried to listen to something maybe on your long car trip or whatever, and we weren't there. Um, <laughs> but we'll, again, in this case, just think that in the in the next week, you'll actually have two episodes you can listen to on Friday if you want to wait until Friday. So you get two hours instead that you'll get. Right. So, you know, right. That's how I would do it anyway. But uh, that's just me. Um, but we're not here to talk about all that. We're here to talk about us and Star Trek Deep Space Nine and uh, this great Great episode, and this episode actually reminded me of something that I said earlier in our broadcasting about, um, I think it was actually a couple weeks ago, where I said I wasn't sure where my love of Jadzia comes from, because I do love the character so much, but we've seen so little of her. Um, This episode is it. This episode is is like the main component, and I figured out why in doing my own rewatch and prep for this episode. So we'll talk about that uh, later on. But before we get to all of that, David... How has your week been? It's been good. It's been good. Uh, last week I mentioned I was going to start reading Red Rising, which is uh, by Pierce Brown. Dude, I'm really enjoying this book. This is a really good book. My roommate is the one who uh, suggested I read it because he really enjoyed it. Uh, the way I'm going to describe it and is it's like Ender's Game, Harry Potter, and The Hunger Games all had a baby. And that's what this is. <laughs> mm. You got uh, an you know, a, a futuristic sci-fi setting like Ender's Game, where they're they're doing battles in houses like in Harry Potter, but it's got uh, to the death element. Um, at least right now, I'm halfway through the book, and it's really good. Enjoying it so far. Won't say much more than that, um, but if you need something to read, uh, anyone out there needs some good fiction, uh, I'm enjoying the first book. The sixth one apparently just released, which is why my roommate... I uh, was wanting to reread them and suggested I read them. Uh, and so I was like, I'll do that. I'm reading The Expanse with Perry. I'll read Red Rising with my roommate. And uh, so, yeah, that's been really good. 
other than that, I've been kind of uneventful. So, uh, yeah, not much else going on. Well, my week has been um, quite busy, and um, we had some unfortunate uh, family uh, tragedies that came through for us. And, uh, you know, got made our way through that, got taken care of. It did leave me a bit, um, you know, kind of out of sorts and exhausted on some things. But uh, I feel like, you know, already kind of, you know, moving through that and getting back on track. So that's the most important thing. Um, other than that, yes, uh, unfortunately, I have not read any of The Expanse this week for obvious reasons. But I will be doubling back down and getting uh, that going once again. Book's actually right over there. I keep it uh, either on my uh, nightstand or next to the uh, door so that in the event I have to go anywhere and I know I'm going to be going somewhere where I have to like wait around or anything like that, I can make sure to um, take it and have it with me. So, um, again, our plans for that are going to be basically breaking that up into two After Dark specials. One where we will do um, the first half of the book and talk about it in relation to the show. And then the next one will be the last half of the book. And again, in relation to the show. So if you have been following along with us as we do that, take advantage of the extra time, read, watch the episodes, come back. We're going to have a great time when we get to that as well. Um, but that is not the focus of tonight's episode. Tonight, we are talking about looking for Parmok in all the wrong places. So <laughs> the second longest title in all Star Trek episode names, apparently. There you what go. Wikipedia has to say. Look at David coming through with the trivia. Normally that's my job. <laughs> and I'm going to give it to you to do the, uh, the recap on this one, because there's a lot going and I, I know you're probably ready and raring to go. So. Oh, I, I actually, I am. Would have insisted. This, I, I, maybe, <laughs> I maybe would have insisted, but, um, this is one of those great episodes, like, uh, you know, obviously my favorite characters, Odo, Cisco, Worf, you know, now that Worf is joined, and this is a very Worf-heavy episode. And it also gives us um, some great Quark and uh, Jadzia elements as well. So, um, right. yes, lots to get into. So this episode, just to give a very, very brief, quick uh, summation, is basically... Um, Grilka, who we remember from, what was that, season two, season three, I think? Season um, three, episode three, apparently. Yes. The House of Quark. Yes. So in that episode, if you'll remember, Quark accidentally kills Grilka's husband. Grilka comes back to, or comes to the station, essentially kidnaps Quark and demands that they get married so that she can become the leader of her house. They use special dispensation and some clever Ferengi trickery, basically, or to expose um, her for her deceased husband's brother and uh, gain her the rights to her house. Uh, so now right. she's back, and she has come to the station because uh, the war that had been going on between the Federation and the Klingon Empire, which we now know is in uh, peace negotiations, has been rather costly for her family in particular, and she's needing some financial help. So she's wanting Quark to kind of go over their books and see if he can clear up anything and basically give them a little bit of breathing room while they figure out what's going on. Um, in the process of him doing this, Quark realizes that um, he's really kind of into Groka. He's got a, got a thing for her, got a crush, infatuation. Is it love? Isn't it? Who knows? You know, he's got something for her. Um, right. 
Worf also seeing Groka on the station for the first time um, becomes just kind of enthralled by this Klingon beauty and believes that she is so glorious, as he calls her. And he makes a play for her. It doesn't go well. Um, her, what would you call advisor. it? Yeah, her advisor uh, basically is like, yeah, um, you didn't do anything wrong per se, but basically you're not Klingon enough. It's kind of how that's summed up there. This, of course, incenses Worf, who believes that, you know, this is just a terrible thing to say to a person, which, gotta admit, kind of is. Um, he decides that, you know, he's going to actually help Quark to woo Grilka, and through his knowledge of, you know, his his culture, his people, and their regions, which, again, we're going to get into some of that, because I think this does a great job of kind of redeeming Worf to a certain degree. But basically, he uses his knowledge to help Quark gain Grilka's favor, much to the dismay of her bodyguard, Thopak, who is like, nah, this Ferengi and Klingon thing is not happening, not on my watch. Right. He challenges uh, Quark to a fight to the death, which Quark accepts, but again, using some Federation hijinks and trickery, it's actually going to be Worf using Quark's body to fight Thopak, and uh, they do. They fight. There is a brief moment where things kind of go off the rails a little bit. Quark is clever enough to keep himself alive long enough for them to fix it, and uh, Worf ends up winning the duel for him. Um, they dismiss Thopak and Grilka and Quark have their moment. Um, all the while, all this is going on, we actually start to see these subtle hints that uh, Jadzia is also feeling some type of way for our new resident Klingon. And she's basically kind of challenging Worf in a roundabout way to basically acknowledge that he should be looking for what's right in front of him. And uh, she finally issues him a direct challenge. He accepts. Does she win? Does he win? Do they both win? However you want to... I imagine... I think in Klingon culture, you both kind of win, yeah. which is why it's so rough. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so after, after you know, some, some saber-rattling and a very nice uh, flip... Of Jadzia by of of Worf by Jadzia, um, those two are now an item on their way to marriage. Our B plot in this story is the dueling O'Briens, who we see in the very beginning of the episode. Miles and uh, Kira are seemingly having constant arguments now that Kira is living with them again, still carrying the baby, and uh. They're basically trying to figure out a way to work through their relationship, and it seems like, despite any kind of outward arguments or whatever it is, that they have become quite close, quite familiar, and this familiarity has led to um, maybe some feelings of, of intimacy, and so they're both kind of like somewhat awkward around each other, and they're both realizing that, again, the familiarity is potentially getting close to crossing a line. And uh, before anything can really come of that, Kira decides to uh, go hightail it off to Pajor and take a break from everybody, you know, to kind of have this isolated moment to herself, to which Keiko promptly objects, forces Miles to go with, and in the last moments, the two of them decide it would be best if they did not go on this very romantic trip alone together, but also acknowledge that, hey, in another life, 
another time, maybe, maybe something could have happened. Um, interesting B story, interesting A story. Both of these stories, I think, are going to be pretty cool to uh, talk about tonight. Um, I, I have I have so many things I want to say, especially about that B plot of of all, oh, all yeah. of that, the living situation. Yeah, this is the episode of the love triangles. We have yes. three love triangles, one, two of which are intersecting. Yes, they're actually like, yeah, but yeah, but love triangles galore in this episode. Yes. But that is essentially it. That is essentially the episode. It's a, a very entertaining episode, to say the least. <laughs> and for one that doesn't really involve any kind of outward plots, no Dominion, no, you know, Cardassian threats looming or anything like that. This is very much an in-house episode. And we have some great comedic elements, too. Odo popping up and questioning Kira about her uh, role in the family dynamic of the O'Briens. Great scene, right. but uh, that is essentially the episode. So again, go and watch it if you want all the precise details that we're getting ready to discuss. If you want to see them before we spoil it for you, which again, the show is thirty minutes or thirty years old, it shouldn't be a spoiler. And you can watch it and all other treks on Paramount Plus. So just go do that, and then come back and join us and um, tell us if you agree or not. But would you agree that I hit kind of the salient points of our A and B plots here? You did. Yep. There's more to talk about, but yeah, you hit the mo- most important yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yes. All right. So, um, as always, since David has never seen this show before, and I've seen it many, many, many times, I'd like to start with uh, <laughs> you, of course. What was your initial opinions of this episode? This episode is really awkward, and uh, it, it, I mean, <laughs> even Bashir makes clear that we're talking about sex. This episode is about sex. It's about some Kira nudity with the whole O'Brien holding up a towel. Uh, yeah, it's awkward. <laughs> the Kira O'Brien part in particular is like uncomfortably awkward because we know these characters and it's like we're stepping over boundaries that we thought these characters yeah. had a little bit. Whereas the other plot lines, it's like it's just developing stuff. Um, Quark is willing to put himself in harm's way for a woman which i don't it kind of doesn't quite fit his character it feels like he's being a little too risky in this in this episode um for for a woman you know he doesn't have a high opinion of women except he kind of does i uh, we can talk about that yeah um i would say it's it's in keeping with his character because if we remember again let's go back season two when uh that Cardassian woman and her students came aboard the station and he was willing to risk everything so that she could stay with him. Um, So I think that it's right. I'm just, but he wasn't, but he wasn't like fighting some guy in a duel to the death. He was still using his deceptive qualities to try and like get her to escape. Like that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, Um, Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, the best part of the episode is Worf. And his ardent infatuation with a Klingon woman, which we haven't seen him have, maybe even ever. I mean, even with uh, well, what's her face with Kalar. So yes, yes this would have been the first name. time that Worf would have been pursuing a one hundred percent true blue Klingon woman, and not only that, right. but Grilka is a bit of Klingon. Uh, aristocracy here you know she's the leader of her own house it's a it's kind of a noble house obviously they have lands titles ships so forth they are funding the war effort so they're pretty high up there 
um, you know, she's got her own bodyguard and attendant and all of this stuff, you know, that she's, so she's, a, she is a great house in her right. own right. And so right. here comes Worf trying to um, woo her, per, pursue her. I mean, yeah, we've never seen her have to do things on Klingon terms. In most cases, right. it was always on his terms on the Enterprise or wherever, in, in Federation territory, basically. Right. And so, right. yeah, this is completely different. Right. Yeah, and it's, um, I mean, I'll put it, just kind of bluntly, I feel bad for Worf. He's always been the exile. He's always been the one trying to prove himself to Klingon culture. And that mm -hmm. is exactly what he's challenged with this episode by the advisor to um, Groka. Uh, he basically says, you've never had a chance to really pursue a Klingon woman before. What do you know about pursuing Klingon women? And Worf is understandably upset by that claim. Um, and so he, through Quark, proves that he is the one that is worthy of uh, of Grilka. He's the one who comes up with the right thing to say. You know, get a leg of this one creature when you go to see her at her dinner and sweep everything off the table and present it to her and say this and get her to talk about her family's history. And then, um, yeah, he just everything is right so according to what Worf does. And it's through Quark that he proves himself. So he, he gets to do it for us in our eyes, but for... Other Klingons, he's still not proved himself, unfortunately. But go ahead, go ahead. So now I want to break that down a little bit here because this is something that Worf has often been uh, criticized, critiqued, whatever term you want to use for it, for pretty much both um, over the course of the development of the character. You know, um, we know from the Next Generation that Worf was an orphan who was later adopted by uh, Sergei and Helena and brought to a human colony, a Russian-based human colony where he was raised but right we must also remember that Worf was not a baby when this happened he wasn't an infant or anything like that he was old enough he remembers his parents he had family members that he had visited frequently on the Klingon home world and you know that he right. lived with and he interacted with and so forth so you know, we don't know like a precise equivalent human age, but he talks about remembering these things and having these cousins. And, you know, after having gone to be uh, with his earth parents for a while, then when they tried to let him go back to visit his um, surviving Klingon family, how they teased him and ridiculed him because they said how much he had changed and now he was different. So I'm going to say that he was probably around, let's say, six, seven years old when he was adopted. And then when he right. goes back to deal with his his family, he was probably somewhere around 10, 11 years old. And he was ridiculed okay. and teased then. And then he kind of does this back and forth bit for a while until he just stops going back to the Klingon home world. He stays fully with his human family until he eventually goes into um, the academy at, at 18. So right. he had plenty of experience with his people and he also studied his people and not just like any particular, you know, like any kind of general Klingon cultural stuff. As we see even in this episode, he's able to recognize Groka by her name. He knows where her, what region her family is from and he knows the precise cultural habits of her people in their region. So that shows that right. he is a dedicated, if any, if anything else, he's a dedicated researcher to Klingon culture, and he looks at 
all aspects of Klingon culture, right down to regional uh, specifics. Right. I don't think even we do that, you know, um, unless like there's like a a job or it's like for a school project or something like that, you know. But could you tell me right offhand what you know particular cultural style people in the northeast province of India wear on Sunday? Like no, like not he, at he, all. Not I mean, like no <laughs> one does. No one does that. So his right. his interest in his people and his culture is. Obviously, uh, very deep. He has a deep connection with that, and it's something that he uses to inform who he is. So while we try to say right. that he is not um, not a true Klingon, like that, I would say he's a great representation because he has studied his entire people, and he sees right. the entire culture. And right. I really like that they do this, and they and they show that he knows these things. Like he didn't have to go to a Federation database and punch in her name and pull up her stuff. He knew that stuff just from standing there and recalling right. active memory and knew the, the got to get the leg of Linkta, whatever the heck that is. And the, the whole ceremony of sweeping it across the table, knock everything off, but that Linkta is it. You got to eat it and you got to make your declaration and so forth. He knew the whole thing. So I right. wish that people would pay attention to things like this and stop saying that Worf, you know, that he's some kind of weak or ineffective Klingon or anything like that. He is not. He studies his people and he takes his entire culture very seriously. And uh, oh, yes, yeah. he has some he has some things about human culture that he has adapted or adopted and brought into himself, you know, and that's, you know, I think even Picard points that out at one point about how Worf has taken kind of the best of both. He's taken the best parts of Klingon culture and the best parts of human culture and tried to distill them down and to make those a part of who he is. And I think it's right. a great, rep, uh, a great statement for Worf, great summation of who that character is. And we see that here and yeah, right. he's able to, do the stuff to win over uh, Groka through Quark, unfortunately, but he does it. He does yeah. it well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm surprised that anyone outside the show, like any any watchers of the shows, would say that Worf is a bad representative of Klingon oh, yeah. culture. The whole point is that he is working very, 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 very hard to overcome any sort of shortcomings that he's had because of his history, as you just described it, you know? He might have been away from Klingon culture for a time because he was on Earth with his adopted parents, but he's never given up his Klingonness at all. If right. any, as you said, he might have adapted Federation or Earth customs to himself, you know, just because that's you know where he was placed. He had to adapt, but at no point did he ever give up, betray, surrender his Klingon identity. Um, and yeah, again, my, my whole point is that it's sad that Worf isn't able to prove himself to Grilka directly. I mean, if if the end of the episode... I, I would have preferred if the end of the episode had ended with Worf storming in and throwing Quark aside and saying, I did all those things. I was the one who knew to do this and that. And, like, that be, like, his way of redemption. Like, he has a Klingon woman to, to pursue and... She decides through his 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 uh his behavior, and she decides that she's gonna be the one that helps him redeem his uh reputation. You know, she's gonna 
sacrifice her house to help rehabilitate him. That's how I would like things to go if I were writing it, but we have other things in mind. Uh, Dax, in particular, has other things in mind. And finally, finally, she gets a chance to really shine in an episode. She is she just as important to this episode she as does. Worf and Quark are. Um, I had forgot that Cisco even had a line in this episode. I was trying to remember what it was, and it's when uh, he first, when, when Worf sees Grilka, and uh, it's it's Jadzia who says, "You're look, you have Parmok." So she's the one who basically comes up with the name for this episode. You know, you're looking for Parmok in all the wrong places, and uh, Cisco overhears it when they get to Ops and asks what's going on, and that's it. He's gone. That's true. Mark, Cisco's see, barely in it at all. That's true. We don't see him ever again. It was. It's. It's interesting that we don't right. see him. It's like he's just. He just had one line. Just came out of his office, tossed the the baseball, and then he's gone again. It's like, that's okay. it. He was okay. Gonzo. He was not here pretty much at all, which is fine because again, basically, he traded with Dax, <laughs> the place of character whose whose uh, place in the episode is minimal and not right. existent. Who's totally um, superfluous and we could have done without you being here at all. Exactly. I, I literally yeah. forgot he even said anything yeah. until I was racking my brain. I was like, there's got to be something. So um, this may be one of the one of the few episodes where every character, every main character has a speaking part. Everyone is represented. Um, we don't see Garrick, but Garrick is not listed as a main cast. He is a recurring character or an ensemble character. He's kind of in the same position as like Jake and Nog, even though, yeah. you know, like he, whatever he's on, he contributes a lot, but yes, he kind of has that same kind of ranking as, as them, you know? Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, every other, all the main characters we see in this episode and get at least, at least one part. So well, all, all of the all of the named cast always have at least one line, which is why I knew Cisco must have had said something. Because even Dax in episodes where I'm like she barely appeared, she always has at least one line. Every one of the main cast has at least one line in every episode. But characters that are recurring, like Keiko and Garrick and those characters, yeah, they may not have anything, but they're still a regular feature every now and then. Um, but yeah, speaking of that, Keiko. No, 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 um, no, no. no. We're not going to go you through wait? the O'Brien. You want to wait I on wanna that? Get, okay, I wanna we'll get save the, it. We'll save yes, it. I want to okay. get through our Klingon, our budding Klingon romances here. Okay. Um, so one of my, uh, again, one of my favorite scenes in this, in their particular dynamic is where um, Worf is just, they've just finished their first round of training in the holodeck. And it's, so it's Worf, Quark, and Jadzia. And he's, you know, they've just done their big battle and, um, they're trying to get Quark to recite the lines and he's just, he's racking his brains trying to get through the Klingonese, you know, and, um, finally it just, you know, they, they end the simulation and he's like, yeah, you need to, you know, go rest, go to bed. Um, because even if you're, if you're tired, Worf won't be able to save you and so forth. So this leaves Jadzia and Worf alone and Worf is like, I can't believe the lengths I'm going through to help this. Ferengi, you know, and I was thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? He's absolutely right because it's like, what are you? What are you guys doing? Like, yeah, you don't have totally. you don't have jobs that you should be like. Yeah, you know, is the the amount of seeming downtime that they have for this nonsense? Worf, yeah. you're the strategic operations officer for the entire sector, and you're yes. in the holodeck playing around with the Ferengi bartender and your science <laughs> officer, who should also be like running scans or. Well, and O'Brien kind of... gets 
Oh, Brian and Kira both are like not busy no at all in this episode. I guess the whole episode is no one's doing any work. I'm just like, what? After the intensity of the last two episodes, yeah, everyone's right. like, oh man, I'm I'm taking vacation. Yeah. They even they even <laughs> broke out the technology so they can sync Worf's body to Quark's body. Which like, where did you get that? Like where's who, that where's yeah. that being stored? What cargo bay? Yeah. Is that why haven't we had a plot line where this was used before? Yes. Where is a future you plot can... line going to be like, why didn't we have that? Yeah. Right. This is the thing that we broke out this revolutionary technology for, is <laughs> that this Ferengi can fool this Klingon woman. It's never occurred to anyone else this could have been used for, yeah. I don't know, anything else? Like, yeah. ever? Um, but then, you know, the, again, Worf and Jadzia have a little bit of their verbal sparring, and then uh, she says... If I was in your shoes, I would go for somebody who was um, a bit more fun and way more accessible. And Warp's like, you are not in my shoes. And she's like, too bad. You'd be amazed at what I could do in this pair of size 18 boots. And then <laughs> hightails it out. It's like, I, I love their interplay, but also I was like, huh, Warp wears a size 18, eh? My feet are bigger than Warp's. <laughs> <laughs> I wear bigger shoes than that Klingon. That's great. Oh, man. Little moments like uh. that. that just, yeah, you know. But the whole <laughs> scene was great. But that, for me, personally, I was like, yeah, that's right, Worf. You may think you're the big man. I got you beat. <laughs> right, right. Um. Yeah, the the one thing, I mean, I, I knew that Jadzia and Worf were going to get together because, unfortunately, I just know that's how the, their, character, their, their character arcs are going to go that route. Um, I wasn't sure when it was going to begin, so I was surprised that this is the episode where it, like, gets jump-started. Like, I thought it was going to be more of a slow burn, mm-hmm. frankly, um, where, like, Worf, I don't know, like, the, the, they grew closer together and then something happened, as opposed to <sighs> Worf being kind of blind to Dax's attraction to him, and then her basically dragging him down. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it seems here. kind of odd because they go from not being, or from him being completely oblivious to now we have to get married, you know? Yes. Now, yeah, that literally happens in this, like, yeah. five minutes. In this now, show. she yeah. does, you know, she's pretty much telling him that that's not what's going to happen. She makes a very, you know, um, she makes a point of telling him how he's not a traditional man, so following tradition is not going to be in their wheelhouse, you know. And, um, you know, she's saying, let's take this a day and have some... Basically, she's, she is establishing the relationship. So, yes, it does seem like if we're just going to go straight through and follow tradition, that it's that that's the next step is, is marriage here. But we know also from how these two are acting and how they're going to proceed here that that's not necessarily the case. We know they are going to do basically dating, establishing a relationship, seeing, you know, how things work and function and so forth. Um, so we can look forward to that. Um, but so like I said at the beginning of the episode, this episode kind of solidified for me those moments of why I think Jadzia is a great character and why I defend her character and, and love her so much. And it's because she is, she she's so versatile and she can, play with so many characters like even in the moments when it was just like her and quark talking 
she's great. Mm-hmm. You know, their their chemistry and their friendship is evident. And the way that she is able to kind of interpret Worf for Quark, because obviously Worf was very frustrated with this whole scenario, but she was kind of helping them both to see each other's point and uh, at least be willing to work together. Like, there's no way that if Quark had gone to Worf on his own and tried to talk about this situation that Worf would have in any way been understanding or helpful or anything like that. That It just never would have happened. But Jadzia being this intermediary really helps establish this kind of working relationship for the two of them. Right. Um, And then, of course, we see the way that she kind of teases Worf and their uh, chemistry together, which, again, is just... Very obvious when they're when it's just the two of them and they're you know working together, talking together, and so forth. I'm surprised that you know this didn't happen sooner. The way that they kind of right. pair them up because it seems like they are always when they are together, they they work well, they look good together. Right. I don't know. Would you agree with that or not? Dax and Wharf. Yeah. Um. I'll say it this way. At the moment, I'm not yet fully convinced. Like, it, I, at the end of the episode, when they're in the in, infirmary and they've gone off because Bashir is Bashir is super like, oh my gosh, Quark and uh, Grilka just came in here. And I know exactly why they're here. And now here come Worf and Dax for the exact same reason. Like, Bashir's brain is short, short-circuiting all over the place. Um, but anyway, they're off private. And um, Dax and him are talking, and I forget which one of them mentions that tradition. I guess it's it's, it's Worf who says that traditionally this means we're now married, and she's like, "Well, I don't think you're a traditional man." Which I was like, "Wait a minute, that's kind of whole the whole thing about Worf is he's trying really hard to maintain tradition as best he can. Like he he'll he'll adapt when he has to, but like it, Worf well, she, will do yeah, the right well, thing." Says... Yeah, because she says, let's face it, you know, at the end of the day, you're not you're not that traditional. She doesn't say that you're not a traditional man, but it's more you're not that traditional, which kind of, again, leads us back to, you know, Worf, who he understands the tradition, but he has incorporated a lot of things that allow him to be a, a little bit more flexible. With Circumstances have other. forced him to not yeah. be traditional is how I would right. say it. Yeah. And so and then while she's saying all that, she like like they were like sitting next to each other. And then she, like, stands up and, like, grabs his arm and has, like, pulls his arm around her in this, like, romantic kind of gentle gesture. Which, my, my point is, is that from what we know of um, of Klingon culture, it just doesn't come off as, like, like she she has presented herself as understanding his Klingonness. Like, when they do that battle at the end of the episode, they do the back-and-forth Klingon language conversation the ritual like that's that's how she always appeals to him she's already very knowledgeable of ferengi culture they argue Mm -hmm. about opera at the beginning of the episode for uh, klingon opera um even before war showed up we knew she appreciated klingon culture and so that's how she's always approached him and so for this moment of them in private then having this non-klingon moment of intimacy of like again pulling his arm around her Mm -hmm. Where, like, he's trying to figure out what the relationship is. I guess what I'm getting at is, I want Worf 
to really drive this at this point. Like, if it's just yeah. Dax who's who's just dragging Worf along, then I'm never going to be happy with it. Well, I want Worf to be the guy, at least stand up and be, like, the man in a bit and be like, okay, like, I want this. Not only does so, Dax want this, but I want this. I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to do this, do that. At the moment, Dax has driven it. Worf has been kind of dragged along, mm-hmm. which sometimes that happens in relationships. Don't get me wrong. I just want Worf to. I want Worf to come to the conclusion that he wants this and then so, pursue it. So, so on that, I'm just going to say, stay tuned. Um, again, you haven't right. seen the show before, so yeah, just stay tuned. But I will also say that the the ending where it shows them having this intimate moment and she's got his arm wrapped around her, she makes him laugh later on. Um, even earlier on, where she's where they are talking about the finer points of Klingon opera, and she points out, you know, you were raised by humans, you wear a, Kling- a Federation uniform, you drink prune juice, you know, all these things. It's I liked it because it's she has taken an interest in him and she has noticed these things about him. And it's an interesting way that she's, she's telling him, I feel anyway, that she gets him. She understands him, which is something that he has been searching for, for a long time is this kind of acceptance that he hasn't gotten from anyone. You know, even when he was, you know, trying to uh, be with Kalar, you know, Kalar was, while she was interested in Worf and and wanted to be with Worf, she also actively shunned everything Klingon. She didn't embrace right. anything about being Klingon at all, even though she's only you know half Klingon. Um, you know she didn't try to embrace her culture, her heritage at all. You know, and then when he was you know briefly with Deanna, you know he didn't have to worry about any you know the cultural aspect because she wasn't a part of the culture at all. You know, right. and now that he's got the attention of of Jadzia, this person who obviously understands and has worked with the Klingon culture for you know not just one but two lifetimes, you know, there's a whole different level of understanding that Jadzia brings to him that he couldn't get anywhere else. And then on top of that, she also just is noticing him as an individual, and that's what I liked about the softness at the end. You know, because it's like she again, she's pointing out the fact that. There's more to him than just this, we need to strictly abide by Klingon ritual, Klingon custom, so forth, you know? So I I just think that that was a great moment, and I'm looking forward to, and I I was looking forward to, seeing how their relationship progresses. Um, There's a lot that happens between the two of them. Um, We're going to get to see all of that. So, yeah, again, I'm just going to say, stay tuned. So Okay. Um, yeah, because what I what I want for a wharf in a relationship, and this, I mean, I like the idea of Grilka because he would have been very passionate to pursue her. He has the knowledge to have. I mean, as we can see with 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 uh, what he does with Quark, he he had the knowledge to at least start a relationship, mm-hmm. even though he he's dishonored right now. But Ugh, I think poor I Worf, think Tumek but... I think Tumek makes a very good point. You know, he because he tells Worf too. He's just like you know you you didn't do anything wrong. But yeah. have you ever well, actually, he, he's <laughs> asking, he's like, but have you ever actively pursued a true Klingon woman? Have you been involved with a Klingon woman before? No, right. he hasn't. He's like, okay, so, I mean, it's just like, I don't, I don't think it would have been a good match for you. The expectations go f- beyond just cultural formality. You may be able to get the exactly. cultural things correct, but then right. when it comes to the actual day-to-day intimacies of being in a 
full Klingon relationship, you don't have that experience, unfortunately. Right. So right. It's, it, he's just saying, I just don't think that that would have worked out long term. You might have been able right. to walk your way th- through the ritual up to a certain point. But then when it right. comes to the day to day exchange and so forth, you probably wouldn't have done well at that part. That's what I think yeah, the and I, was saying to him there. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, definitely to reiterate that that's is his emphasis is that yeah you might you weren't wrong to try and pursue her here at Cork's bar in that scene, which is really that's another awkward moment because he goes up to Morn and he says, um, <laughs> "I apologize for this at a later time." And exactly, and then from throws him <laughs> and then demands blood wine. He's yelling, and then he says, "Who's stinking up the place?" and turns to the bodyguard. And that whole scene really comes off as awkward, but I, you know, maybe that's actually the point. I mean, it is, I, I guess. Is, is I that think that is the point. It's to show just how um, naive he is yes, about this. That, yes, okay. that he is that he just doesn't have the full experience. Does anybody follow the ritual to this precise a degree? Probably not. Um, mm. But obviously, it is still the ritual. It is still the custom. So it's right. it's obvious what he's doing. But again, right. as Tumek is pointing out here, like you you didn't do anything wrong. You got the steps right. But it's I guess it's kind of the spirit of the thing is right. not quite there. Which is funny that he points this out to Worf, who then kind of says the same thing to Quark when they're practicing the Kalos and Lucara uh, hollow match. And and right. Quark is struggling. He's like, you gotta you gotta put yourself in this place, in this time. Think about what's going right. on. He's saying the same thing. You say the words, but there is no no feeling behind them. So it's like, yeah, he takes the same criticism that was just laid at him um, through Tumek, and he takes it to Quark as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but again, I just want to just reiterate that what I want for Worf, his stiffness as a character, he's stiff, he's trying to be Klingon, he's just kind of prickly sometimes, not in an un- unpleasant way for us, the audience, but just he is trying to be something. I want yes. him to, if in a relationship with a woman, whether it be Dax or anyone else, we know it's going to be Dax, but if it were anyone else, just in general, I want him to be less stiff. But I also want that firmness of character, that strength of character, that firmness to come out at certain points. Like when mm-hmm. when when Warp has to step up, he always steps up. I don't want him to lose his ability to step up, but I do want him to be more relaxed, more not as stiff, not as um is uptight. And if Dax could do that for him, I hope that's what happens. Okay. Um, and again, I what I want for him is I want Worf to be okay with and pursue and be pleased with a relationship with anyone he chooses to pursue. If it had been Grilka, great point. It might have been all formality for him, and he wouldn't know how to do anything else because he's just a stiff board. Uh, whereas Dax, as, as the pursuer, she's the one who's willing to go after a wharf a bit and therefore make accommodations for him, uh, challenge him in her way, in the ways that she, she, as you, as you said, she knows wharf. She knows him. Yeah. Um, that's her whole angle is I know you and I, I, I like you. I want you. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. again, that's probably so, why again, I, I started to defend or I do defend her so much is because wharf is such an, um, a misunderstood character, which is, it's just so strange to me. Because in so many instances with with Trek characters, we often find ourselves rooting for these kind of 
uh, isolated, misfit characters. But I feel like Worf gets kind of a mixed bag on that. There are some who will will support him overall, but then there's so many who are like, oh, he's like, I saw a while back, you know, we talked about this, um, about how they were criticizing um, Worf saying that Balana was more Klingon than Worf is. And just like, how could you possibly think that, you know? But, you know, just all all of these things like that come to mind when I see people who say that, oh, Worf is some kind of, what was it? It was like some, there was a, a term, um, like a Japanese affectation or something like that that was used for him. I didn't like that yeah, oh, either, right. but it's just like all of those things when it's, when his character we we see the development of the character and we hear so much about the past that very much affected his overall uh, development. And yet he still doesn't seem to get the same kind of backing and support until Jadzia comes along and kind of like makes a lot of those things that we would see as um, off or eccentric, especially in his representation of his Klingon side, as totally understandable and okay. And she makes mm-hmm. them relatable. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I think she ultimately makes Worf, um, yeah, both relatable and likable, more likable than he was. So, right. But again, that's by the way, me. that that term you're looking for is weeaboo. Yeah, we talked about that once before a while back, I think, and I, I didn't like it, was, it, it was, then, and I don't yeah. like it now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, but that, that term of someone who wants to be Japanese who isn't. Let's go weeaboo. Yeah, um, and so they were like, they were saying that was what Worf was for his own Klingon culture, and I was like, that doesn't, it doesn't track. Make it doesn't make sense. sense. He already is nope. Klingon. He can't. Right. You can't accuse him of being less. You know, and yeah. I also you can't feel... accuse a Japanese person of being a weeaboo, even if they did grow one hundred percent up outside of Japan. The idea is, is that someone who is Japanese trying to understand Japanese culture is trying to understand their own culture. It's someone outside that culture trying to treat an outside culture and they're not right. their culture as better than themselves is just awkward and strange. And right. it's like pad- and the patronizing who, in some way. Yeah, and it's like the people who kind of, who tend to level this kind of accusation against the other people often tend to be people also outside of that culture and just like how are you going to judge someone by a cultural standard that you yourself do not <laughs> abide by ascribe to yeah. or whatever how can you say that so it's just like right. shut up is i guess right. the, my whole speech comes back to that just just shut up just let, let them you know I think he does a great job representing Klingon culture. I think that he's probably one of the better representations of Klingons that we see because he is such a stickler for doing the right thing, the honorable thing, not just the thing that's going to always get him, you know, a victory every time. You know? Right. So. But that's enough. That's enough of our A story, I'm going to say, because we want to definitely turn our attention to the other love triangle that we have developed here, uh, that we see developed here, and that would be oh, the man. O'Briens. We have Keiko, we have Miles, and we have Kira. So, yeah, she's an O'Brien now, yes. apparently. <laughs> so now, before we get into them, I want to remind you, do you remember that when we when we first talked about her living with them, how it would have been a funny kind of like, like a, a sitcom within this show if they had also had Julian move in? And so he would have had ah. Julian and Kira with with Miles and Keiko. 
Um, I feel like we get elements of that here because even oh. though Julian is not living with them, he's definitely running commentary on what's going on. Well, I mean, the whole opening scene is him doing exactly that. He's trying to eavesdrop in on the O'Brien family and Cork with his big ears can hear everything and starts giving Bashir a hard time. Um, and we think that it's Keiko and Miles arguing because we've seen them argue plenty of times. But then it turns out that it's actually Kira that's arguing with Miles, which is interesting because the whole point of this episode turns out from their perspective to be basically Kira's kind of turning into this romantic interest for Miles, which just it's so it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic development, to say the least. She's living with them, so there's a level of familiarity and comfortability that comes from a shared living space. Um, And then there's the added intimacy of the fact that through carrying the baby and having various bits of discomfort, you know, as she's working her way through this pregnancy, Miles seems to be the one that is able to take care of a lot of her needs and issues and this goes beyond just you know like we see him in the beginning he's picking up medicines for Kara and uh you know he's now helping her out of the bathtub we hear that story and so we know there's that level of intimacy now he's he's seen her naked basically is the is the basically the whole point of that story is he's seen her naked He's massaging her. He's rubbing her legs, her feet. He's massaging her back. You know, he's doing all these things. And he's also relating very personal stories to her. So they're getting to know each other well beyond that professional stance. And even to a certain degree, a bit more familiar. Because, I mean, again, there's a constant close contact that we're seeing. So is it possible that they could have developed such an intense intimacy so quickly or we don't really know necessarily the timeline we know that she's about a month away from her due date which again remember as we had talked about before we knew they were going to be fudging the numbers a bit when it comes to her pregnancy term we know that Bajorans have a gestational period of five months to a human's nine months but we also know that the baby had already been developing for a while inside of Kira so, or not Kira, but Keiko, uh, before, Keiko yeah. before transplanted to Kira. So, because of this, her pregnancy seems to have been sped along a bit. Is it going to be the full five months? I don't think so. Because I think at the time of transplantation, Keiko was somewhere around two to three months pregnant at right. the time. So, now right. baby is in Kira. And so, we're probably looking at, what, two months there? Two right. months, maybe three months of pregnancy if they've got another month left. So right. yeah, yeah, that's what we're looking. That seems at about right. Yeah, but it's a brilliant way of of just saying, "Hey, not a visitor might be having a real life baby at some point. We don't know when." Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna work that out when it comes up. <laughs> and you know, I always like to try to think of like the behind the scenes reasons. It's like probably what happened was she got pregnant, and maybe she was one of those women who like doesn't show her pregnancy until later stages so she was probably pregnant for a while and just no one knew it and then finally it became a well now you're too big to hide it we have to say something we have to do something and then it was like well when are you due and they and she told her like what 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 do you mean you're due in four months like that's not possible (laughs) how did you hide five months of pregnancy from us and she's like (laughs) 
you know. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. She has some maternity clothes in this episode too, yes, as well. Garrett, like her, her outfit or her uniform has a maternal version. Yes, a maternity her uniforms. Dress her uniforms and her shoes are modified by Garrick. So we actually get a reference to Garrick at least. Um, yes, are are modified by Garrick to make her uh, more comfortable, so she can continue to work. Right. Um, and yes, so now they have this this great intimacy, familiarity with each other. And I don't know, I was just um, I was thinking about it as I was watching this, and their the way that they are dealing with her pregnancy and the, all the medicines to help with her swelling, to get the rashes under control, to do all this stuff. And I mean, it's just like, is it? Do you feel like it's possible? Would that be a thing? Would you feel that kind of connection for this person who's carrying your baby or not? Like, I don't know. Well, that's the obviously the sci-fi element of the episode is she's carrying this baby. But I have to say, that's why it feels so strange. For uh, Let me put it this way. I feel like as an adult, if you had to help someone out of a bath, you should be mature enough to help someone... You know, you know, even if it's some of the opposite sex, not your wife, even if they're beautiful, very attractive, that you can still maintain a professional thing. And that's basically what he says to Bashir. When Bashir is questioning about that, he's like, I, I'm a professional about it. You know, I held it up in a way that I wasn't like looking directly at her. But then when you see them together, like he's giving the massage and they start feeling it, they, they start feeling too intimate. I guess the, the thing that got me is like, it feels like, they, they felt like a line was being bumped up against. And so they tried dealing with it, but they did kind of a bad job of dealing with the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, cause like, that is, that's kind of the whole point. Cause like, he's talking about how they've maintained, like they, they are adults. They can have these adult relationships and it's not going to be this kind of high schoolish thing. Right. Right. But, I mean, yes. that turns out to be a little bit of a lie, because we see that between the two of them, they have developed some kind of, you know, infatuation with her. I don't want to say full-on romantical anything, you know, but they've developed some yeah. kind of infatuation with each other that seems to have been bred specifically from the fact that they are spending so much time together. It's not about her being pregnant, but it's about him doing so much for her, her and, and and them learning about each other through that. She, right. you know, it, it seems like Keiko, while she's around, maybe she's not always around as much as it seems like O'Brien is. Because, like, again, if you think about it, even at the beginning, Keiko was not home. Right. But Miles and Kira were. And they were right. interacting with each other. Yes, at the time they were arguing, but still they were interacting. Then they also work together. So they're seeing each other right. also at work and interacting. Then, right. you know, again, they're home and they're doing massages. And uh, somewhere along the day, he's picking up medicine for her, you know. Right. And so it just seems like their their interaction has increased significantly. And Keiko is not always around and she even right. says to miles when 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 kira says she's going to bejor she's like i can't go i've got whatever work thing seminar to do. tomorrow yeah. right yeah. so something is keeping keiko away right and allowing a lot of the heavy lifting in this pregnancy and in this whole interaction to fall to miles and right. this would seem to be the the catalyst for their infatuation 
Yeah, and I do like, for example, O'Brien comes home two hours early to be with Keiko, and then Kira shows up, and you know she's like, "I'm gonna go take a quick holiday uh, vacation trip," and they're all like, "What?" And that definitely does like, "Hey, hey, uh, Kira, they're not gonna be happy with you just jumping out for a few days." Like, yeah, Keiko is totally right. Like, they don't know when you're gonna pop, you know, because it's a whole weird situation. I mean, that's I guess, kind of the whole reason that you moved in in the first place. They wanted to be able to keep an eye on you and be right. a part of the experience. So you suddenly up and leaving for a week, especially now that we're even closer to your due date. Yeah, probably right. not going to fly. Well, and then the fact that Keiko doesn't at all catch on, that it's getting awkward between O'Brien and Kira. Like, that's what it kind of gets me is like, I feel like Keiko would normally be a little more... But again, Keiko's not. I just feel Insightful. like Keiko's not really around. I think yeah. yes. If well, that's, she was that's my whole point, more, though, is yeah. that it's even then. I feel like she still would be a little bit more. Like for example, I would put it this way: when we first see Kira being massaged by O'Brien, the both of them are in like PJs, and Kira's PJs are very nice. She looks great in that night nighty of whatever she's got on. Home. They're home. I know. Who, my point who though would is, be still is that wearing their uniform. At home. Well, you know, that's not my point. Uniform. I'm talking about PJs. I'm not talking about like. Well, she is. Hell, she, she definitely a... is. I don't know what I don't. I don't know what we could classify what O'Brien's wearing Jake. as. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. O'Brien. Yeah, he's he's not wearing. Wearing. He's not wearing a Jake Cisco special. That's for sure. But. Well, but it's. <laughs> I almost wish he was though, because I like that looked like PJs that he was wearing, and so it just. My point is, is that when Keiko walks in, brings him these clothes, and sees the two of them like that. I feel like anyone would be naturally kind of like that's kind of an intimate situation. Maybe oh, yeah. they've done this before, Absolutely. but like I guess what I'm getting at too is like what I wish the episode had done is like Keiko and O'Brien kind of mourn the fact okay. that this is a weird situation where like uh, you know O'Brien like goes to Keiko and says, you know, I had a really great time massaging Kira, but I realized while I was doing that that I, I wish this was supposed to be you. And, you know, I love you, and I'm, I'm sorry oh, that this I is kind of actually... Okay. I see what you're saying. I wish... And then, and then Kira, in the middle of being pregnant and hating being pregnant, then being like, oh, man, you know, I'm carrying this child, and, and it's, it's so nice to be able to relax and have a loved one, uh, like, just massage me and re- give me relax because I, I do feel kind of tired and exhausted. And then thinking about First Minister Shakar I and being like... Like, like basically, you're saying that if they had been using this situation as a way to kind of reinforce their own their, relationships. Their, right, their own relationships. Like, because yes. I'm doing this thing for you, it makes me wish it was this other person. Like, right, and that being I'm the awkwardness this, of... Right, that being the awkwardness. I'm carrying this baby, which is fine, but right. I wish that it was my baby with Shakar, not... Your and right. Keiko's baby, because once the yeah, baby's like, born, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm. There's no other attachment. And then him exactly. being like, "We were looking forward to having this pregnancy experience together. I wish it was you. I was helping out of the tub. I wish it was you that I was massaging right. and doing these things for." I okay, I see what you're saying. And so then, and then them having this moment then, of of, and then like during catharsis. the massage, Kira being like, "Oh man, I really enjoy your massages, O'Brien. You know, it's too bad that." you know, I won't get them ever again. Like, I'll never have these ever again. And then realizing, like, the two of them, like, well, why wouldn't he ever get well? Because of the baby. And then that, like, yeah. just setting off this chain reaction where, like, it gets awkward in the house, 
Not because mm-hmm. O'Brien and Kira are now yes. romantically attracted. I don't believe that. I don't Kira. I, I don't think, believe Kira okay. was ever romantically attracted to O'Brien. So this episode tries to suggest that that's kind of where they're like leaning, and then like maybe in another universe. No, I, that's so, not yeah. their characters. Yeah, I think that the issue with that is uh, they were trying so hard. I guess they were wanting to show us a more evolved kind of relationship status that having this extra person in the relationship and having this kind of familiarity um, presents with a different kind of problem because, because right. I, I agree. I think that, you know, to a certain degree, her living there while, you know, I could see why they would have done that. And that makes sense. Him giving her massages and she's wearing, you know, a nighty or whatever that is. I, I don't think that would have happened. Like that's a that's a level of comfortability that I feel like could only really come from maybe like really knowing and doing that for that person over a couple of years. You know, you right. know there's, a, there's a greater familiarity there because again, we don't know the precise timeline. But again, if you're following all this, she's only been living with them for a couple of months at most. Right. At most. So yeah. for them yeah. to yeah. already be like they're, you know, they're seeing each other, you know, you know, naked and, and whatever all that other stuff, I just don't know if that would have been would have happened, you know? Like right. if she needed help getting in and out of the tub, which I don't understand why she would need that in the twenty fourth century, you mean to tell me they haven't figured out a way to get her something that she can get herself in and out easily, or that Keiko wouldn't have been able to also assist in this using some kind of leverage technology to get her in and out if necessary. I just, right. I, I didn't believe, I don't think that is true. Um, right. But yeah, I think they were going for, they wanted us to really buy into the fact that there is a, a very close familiarity between them. Right. And trying to define what that familiarity is is where we they want us to have an issue. So much so they even made that into a little bit of a joke there when Odo is questioning Kira in his office right. and he's like, Oh, I've noticed that your your tone has changed when you talk about Chief O'Brien. Oh, excuse me, right. Miles. You know, like yes. he, he highlights the fact that That was a great this, scene, yeah. I have to say. Odo on the offensive in terms of questioning people. What part of the family? Yes. What do you I, mean she, by like, that? I'm, I'm living with them. I'm carrying his baby. It's like I'm a part of the family. And he's like, which part? And yeah. yeah. Daughter. Yeah. Cousin. <laughs> what are yeah. you? Sister. Yeah. 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 So, so again, him highlighting the fact that even to outsiders, this is a... Um, an interesting situation and that there are certain changes that are noticeable. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think they do a great job overall with telling us kind of, a, a an entertaining story. I wasn't going to, I was trying to, I wouldn't necessarily say it was funny or anything like that, but they certainly tell us an entertaining story. And right. uh, yeah, the ending though, of them getting all the way into the shuttle and being like, Oh, would have been nice in another life or whatever. I don't know yeah. that that I think that that was a little too much. Yes, uh, that's my point. They probably could yeah. have ended before that, or found another way to present that. I think, like, right. stop making us think that these two are. It's like they're, but for the flip of a coin, they yeah, would have done this. Exactly. That's kind of how they're trying to 
trying to present this. And yeah, I we're in season agree. five by now. I don't believe yeah. these characters who've been interacting for years now are suddenly realizing the romantic chemistry. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work. Um, I really, yeah. I mean, it's such a funny scene too because the, she's describing this absolutely fantastic retreat home. This cottage. It sounds wonderful and amazing. It does. It does. And yeah. I'm like, you know what? They should just do a whole thing where we go to Bajor and like explore stuff because that sounded awesome. I'd love to see yeah. that little that, that survive place. the Cardassian occupation, etc. Yeah, et like it's so old. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I was like, wait a minute, it's how old? Sitting in the middle of the woods, and it's made it through all the devastation. No one's come through and ransacked this place, or stripped yeah. it, or burned it, or nothing. And it's just there. Come on, like yeah. And you, I and you, I, don't tell me the Cardassian occupation was a bad time, and then you tell me about that place. Something's yeah. got to give here. These two things don't yeah. work. Yeah, and this for me it just reiterates that like I would have liked to see Shakar and her and, and Kira go to the retreat. Like maybe we don't have to see it or even see him. I mean I would like to still see him because it's been a while since we've seen the character, even though she's supposed to be in a relationship with him. But like I, I, I again my whole point is I wish this storyline had instead of making it this weird, awkward O'Brien Kira love triangle thing building, it had just caused the two of them to like just yeah. Like I what what I want is here's what I'm getting at. What I want from characters and this is a hard thing to do and this is why I have a hard time writing myself, so I'm not saying it's the easy thing to do, but what I want from characters is I want them to mourn the lost things in their life sometimes. And oh, I feel like that. this would have been a I'm all for that too. I, I, I like I like I, seeing them, you know, have those things that kind of bring them low. And then I like right. seeing those moments where they almost think that they're over it and then something right. triggers the memory that kind of brings them back to let you see right. that this is a, a a process you have to work through you don't just get to turn the page and it's all better uh yes. you, know, you have to you have to do the do the work you got to go through the process yeah so yeah i, I would um, have rather seen like keiko have like a kind of an emotional breakdown a bit of like this is supposed to be my baby and i i i'm i'm all i can't i like i'm not giving it my baby my full attention anymore and i feel like a bad mother like that would have felt more real to me yeah. than this way they did things but maybe yeah, they it was tried just to make a time her, constraint i'm sure Go yeah ahead. i'm sure that there is i'm sure there was a lot of you know because i mean they're trying to do an a and a b story here so there's yes, always going to be right. a time issue but i think that would have been you know they did try to make it seem like keiko was just so happy and so positive and she's so mature you know like she wants them to stop fighting and they have to get along and you know she is right. she's working still and she's got time to pick up uniforms and isn't she so chipper about the massaging and though she's just walking in and out of the rooms and dropping things off she's okay with everything this is another woman living in her house carrying her baby and having these intimate moments with her husband and she's fine with it i would have loved for there to be kind of a little bit of a resentment stage for Keiko a little bit you know yes like, like maybe at the same time that these two are kind of getting close and having these weird awkward semi-intimate moments we also get these flashes of Keiko being kind of depressed or um again, right. angry and resentful or whatever like that should be me like that should be me right. in there uh, right those massages that should be right me exactly, rash. exactly. You know, not just o'brien being like man i really wish this was my wife but also keiko being like i wish that was me and maybe yes. we could have also had like 
Shakar, maybe not there, but maybe he could have been calling, right? Like yeah, he could have been, I didn't find you know, it that. Right, like he, yeah. he can't get to the station. He's the first minister, so yeah, he can't leave the planet to come up to right. the space station to be with his girlfriend. I yeah, maybe it was Shakar who's like, I got this great cabin in the woods. Right, and like, Kira's I hope like, you're well, okay. I can't leave now. Right. Yeah. I hope you're okay. I want you to be comfortable. You're working too hard. Like him maybe pushing that angle and her getting mad at him because she's like, stop trying to make me stop living my life or doing these things. And he's like, I just want to, like that kind of stuff that, that we see in actual relationships when people when, like, when, you know, that's always like the, the, I guess the classic tale of the, the woman gets pregnant and the guy wants her to kind of scale back her schedule, take care of herself a bit for the sake of the right. pregnancy, but she still right. wants to prove that she can do things. And now she's getting that on both sides. She's got O'Brien. who's like, you're not going to go play spring ball. You're carrying my baby. And then she's got Shakar, who's like, maybe you should come and take a vacation. I've got this sprawling cottage in the Musala province with all yeah. this, you know, whatever. Come we out just here. renovated We yeah. just renovated the cabin. The Cardassian occupation was still we – the stink of it was still over right. the cabin. We just got it finished. We, yeah, excavated, like we excavated it and restored it. It's this beautiful <laughs> tourist attraction. And as the first minister, I get first dibs and I wanted to take you. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I'm just saying like that yeah. would have been, you know, an interesting yeah. kind of addition to the story. And like her being like no, no, no until finally she's realizing she needs to like get out and get away and now she's taking right. him up on it and he's calling all the time and he's like all right. of these those little things that kind of would have made more tension here right. in their story but I, as we said like this was clearly supposed to be the B plot of this episode right. so all yeah. of those extra things would have definitely changed the tone of the right. episode and probably right. would have made this uh, a, a contender for a, a plot Definitely. Yes, hundred percent. The way we're we're editing the story, hundred percent. So now this is us editing, looking back again. A show that is thirty years old, and we've got all these years of experience of watching and reading shows and books and stuff that have been developed over the intervening years, which were influenced by shows like this. Like we wouldn't have some of those things if it wasn't for what they did in shows like Deep Space Nine. Right. So. Always exactly. want to give credit where credit's due, and, and highlight the fact that we are critiquing a show that was, again, that's thirty years old and was already pushing the envelope um, at its heyday. You know, so right, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. And and don't get me wrong, um, I still enjoyed the episode for what it's worth. Yeah, um, again, I always like critiquing. Yeah, I like critiquing stuff because I always like to imagine how I would have done things and how to improve mm-hmm. it. So. Um. Yeah. So, Whoop. a lot of love triangles in this. Episode. Yes. <laughs> but it's but it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to go through, and it's a it's a good rewatch too. Because I mean, I feel like you get to pick up on a couple of things maybe you didn't pay attention to the first time around. Like for example, how Worf knows things about Grilka, what region she's from, um, cultural significance of things. You know. Um, right. Also, you know, kind of take the words of Tumek to you know to heart there a little bit and like kind of you know allow that to he's not necessarily criticizing Worf specifically but you know he's talking about overall a life experience here um now i do want to say uh, really quick that uh, tumek is played by joseph ruskin who um many may recognize from his you know he's 
he's it was a prolific character actor. He was in a lot of different um, shows and movies and stuff throughout his career. And he was also um, in Star Trek a few times. He was uh, Galt in the TOS episode, The Gamesters of Triskelion, I believe is how okay. you pronounce that. He, again, okay. he's Tumac here. He was in another um, Deep Space Nine episode as um, just a Cardassian informant, which um, I'm trying to think if we see him. Yes. So in the episode, it's it, is it the second season ender going into the third where we're dealing with the true way and the circle? Or is that the first season ending going into the second? I think that's what it was. I th- well, the, the first three parter. Yes, it's part of the, the three parter is the first three episodes of se- the se- second season. Yeah. Okay, so that he's in that three parter. He's the Cardassian informant who tells Odo about the shipment of weapons, and we just only see his eyes. He's in. He like is a Cardassian, but in shadow. Oh. So that's him. Okay. Yes. He's in the uh, Star Trek Insurrection movie. He's one of the background um, alien officers. He's in uh, Deep Space Nine. Not Deep Space Nine, I'm sorry. He's in Voyager. He plays an elderly uh, Klingon who advises a very young uh, Tuvok before he becomes Commander Tuvok. And then Uh he's in uh, Enterprise as well as a Suleiman officer in that show so he has a nice trek uh background as well again going all the way back to the original series so this man has been a you know a part of star trek since the founding of the show and uh yeah great uh great character actor um yeah he unfortunately passed away in december of 2013 so um just want to give some credit there again his name is joseph ruskin so yeah his voice is very okay. distinctive. That's that's why I recognized that he had been in other Trek before because of the way okay. that he speaks. And I was just like, I know that voice. So it took a little bit digging it up and, and looking through there. But yeah, he is. Um, yeah, he's okay. he loves Trek. <laughs> well, I have to say, too, I Mary Kay Adams as Grilka. I mean, in the first time we saw her in the House of Quark, she was having to play a character who was, you know, tense. She was having to survive. You know, she's having to fight for her life, basically. But in this one, she's able to be that beautiful Klingon woman. And, yeah, I, I as soon as Worf was like, oh, my gosh, she's glorious. I was like, yeah. I mean, I didn't recognize her as the character we had already met before until it came mm-hmm. out from Dax later. That was the same character. But uh, I, I could understand Worf's immediate attraction. It was like, yeah. She looks great, even uh, under all that Klingon makeup. So yeah, you know it's interesting because yeah. it's like they they do such a good job with the makeup and stuff and and concealing the the true person underneath. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've always heard those objections about you know the Klingons not necessarily being an, an attractive race, but I think that if you just like if you over time and we see them and you kind of can see beyond the prosthesis and everything like that. Some of that does shine through. And yeah, Mary Kay Adams would be one of those people who I think that with all that on and all that kind of stuff, it did in, you know, just kind of enhance her overall look. So yeah, right. I would agree. Um, I think, yeah. And I think they did a great job with her and her look and her overall appeal and so forth. So yeah. Yeah. I'll say it one more time. The Klingons are the biggest success story, in my opinion, in oh, Star yeah. Trek. It's, it's, 
hands down, they kill it with uh, how they portray that culture and race. So. And it's so interesting because, I mean, the Klingons have been a part of Star Trek since its inception as well. You know, and we keep seeing iterations of them. Even uh, now, the newer shows, uh, Strange New Worlds, uh, Discovery, they've both prominently featured um, Klingons. And uh, I don't see that diminishing anytime soon. Um, In fact, with Discovery, uh, now they've jumped into the 32nd century, I believe it is. I would love to see their representation of Klingons that far into the future. So thousand year advanced Klingons, what would they look like? What would they be? You know, so forth and so on. I would love to see that. I don't know if we're going to get to see that, but uh, I I would still love to see what the Klingon empire has been up to um, a thousand years from now uh, or a thousand years from then, I should say. Um, Right. But any other final, any final thoughts, anything like that on this particular episode? Nope. I guess we'll, Find out more about Dax and Worf going yes. forward. That is correct, and um, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Again, we there's so much about season four that I really loved, but mainly because it sets us up for season five and what we're going to really see beyond up to the climax of the show. All of these things are going to be related into it, and um, I can't wait for us to get into that and get your reactions, of course. Um, now, as always, I say you can watch all the treks um, on. Paramount Plus, except for Prodigy, which apparently is going to be on Netflix soon. I don't know what that's about, but it'll be the only one that's on Netflix. And it won't be, you can't also watch it on Paramount Plus. It will not be on Paramount Plus. It will just be on Netflix. So I guess I'll have to renew my Netflix subscription to finish watching Prodigy. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so there's that. Um, then you can watch Suits. I've been watching Suits. It's it's okay. It's it's good. Overall, it's good. Okay. It's not perfect, but it's overall good. So right. okay. Um, the SAC after a strike is still in effect. We did talk before about there had been like a deal, and then they walked away from the deal. Apparently, there was another deal that was brokered, which got like some of the writers back, but like the actors aren't back yet. So this is why you will start to see like your talk shows are coming back on, you know? So like if you watched, um, last week tonight with, um, um, John Oliver, that show is back. Um, a couple of other talk shows, Jimmy Fallon, so forth and so on. They're back. SNL is back. Things like that. But, um, a lot of the major, well, I'm just, just saying the ones that I saw in the little news program, <laughs> back. not necessarily if you watch them or not. But, uh, right. yeah, those are the ones that I saw that were back. There's, like, a host of others, but I didn't really pay attention to that. I just saw mainly that seems like certain writing groups, anyway, are coming back. Um, the actors themselves are not back yet. So if you're looking to do – looking for any shows to be coming out anytime soon, not going to happen. If they weren't already completed and in post-production, not going to happen. This also means that they are still going to be delaying um, Discovery. Discovery was actually, the final season of Discovery was supposed to be out right now, but because of the need they had to do some kind of reshoots and whatever else, and then the strike and everything, it's been pushed and pushed and pushed. So now we're looking at mid-2024, hopefully, that that will come out. Um, This seems to also be the case with Strange New Worlds, which they had not begun shooting the next season of yet. And so now it looks like they're not going to be able to do that until also mid whatever of 2024. So looks like we may be a year 
um, a year plus without any new Trek in, in general. So we'll see. Okay. All right. But other than that, guys, um, as always, you can find us and follow us anywhere you happen to do your social medias. We are back on X, of course. And, of course, you can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. So until next week, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.